Well, let me pray for the Rogers as we transition to our worship in the Word. Um, Father, we rejoice this morning uh, knowing that you have called us as a church to make disciples, to know God and make him known, not just locally, but globally. And Father, um, through missionary partners, we have the privilege and opportunity to do that. We thank you for Carl. We thank you for Joanna. We thank you for their two children. We thank you, Father, for how you've allowed us to partner together. And Lord, I do want to pray specifically for them as uh, they are preparing for what is next, Lord, possibly going overseas. We pray, Lord, that you would grant them wisdom, that you would give them patience in the meantime, and Lord, that you would continue to use them mightily, Father. What a wonderful reminder, Lord, uh, that sometimes we have a picture of what missions looks like in our mind. But Father, anyone and everyone is called to missions uh, in our backyard, Father. And so we pray that we would be faithful to see that, whether it's a computer engineer working on technology for linguistics and translation, or Father, uh, a researcher, Father, uh, whatever that may be, we pray pray that you would guide us and direct us in that, but we pray your blessing indeed on on the Rogers, Father. Father, as we transition to your word, we pray that you'd prepare our hearts, our minds, Lord, that you would remove distraction, get us out of the way. And Father, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and who we are not in Christ, we ask that you'd make us, and we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen. Ruth Graham, the wife of well-known evangelist Billy Graham, was once asked in an interview if she ever considered divorce. This was her reply, divorce, no, murder, oh yeah. You know, that answer begs this question, how is it possible to love one another when we find each other at times difficult to love? I want to explore that question and and that answer this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'd invite you to verse 22, and we're going to be reading all the way to chapter 2, verse 3. You know, as you make your way there in your Bibles, I wanted to ask you this. How many of you have found yourself in relationship with others, and you don't have to raise your hand, who are at times difficult to love? How many of you this morning would be willing to admit that there are times, perhaps more than you would like to share, when others have found you difficult to love? Maybe in a marriage or a, a family, a, a church, whatever relationship that, may, that might be. You know, you know I, I've learned this, that, that often we find each other most difficult to love, often in times when we're facing difficult circumstances. When we're facing difficult times, times of transition, times of change, when the pressures of the world are pressing in against us, those are often the times when we find one another most difficult to love. And the reason is those difficult times often reveal that we're not as far along in the process of sanctification as we would like to wish or that we would desire. You know, some of us would say we tend to think that we are patient people, but when difficult times come, when the pressures come, we can be impatient with life, but we can also be impatient with those who are closest to us, which hinders us from loving one another as God calls us to love. Some of us may think of ourselves as pretty uh, self-controlled, but in the moment of A heated moment, we may find ourselves losing our temper and it might hinder us from loving one another as God calls us to love. Uh, As believers, as Christians, we like to describe ourselves as selfless, but in those moments of hardship and difficulty or those times of change and transition, those can be times uh, when we realize we're more looking for others to serve us than for us to serve 
them. How is it possible to love one another in times when we find each other at times difficult to love, especially in difficult times? You know, those whom Peter is writing to are facing their own difficult times. They're facing the difficulty and the pressures of persecution. Some have lost their land, have had their lands confiscated. Others have lost their lives. Others have experienced threats to their lives simply because they have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. But in the midst of the pressures and in the midst of the stress and the difficulty and the persecution, Peter encourages these believers to not allow the external pressures to influence their love one for another. And so we find ourselves in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, as we take a look at how, how it's possible to love one another when we find one another difficult to love. Would you stand in honor of the reading of the word together? Chapter 1, verse 22 reads this way. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore... Laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The word of the Lord, you all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. And as we walk through our text together, Peter is writing to a people who are facing difficult times. They're facing the difficulties put on them because of persecution. And Peter is writing them to encourage them. Uh, He already began to encourage them in the first 12 verses of chapter 1 by reminding them of their past election. Reminding them of their future inheritance in light of the fact that they've been born again unto a living hope. Kind of like the song we sang this morning. He reminded them in the first 12 verses of their present joy, even in the face of difficult circumstances. You know, having reminded them of their identity in the first 12 verses and their salvation in the Lord, in verses 13 to 21, Peter went on to remind them of the call on their lives to be holy. To be holy by means of living in light of the return of Christ. To be holy as God is holy. And to be holy by means of conducting themselves in the fear of the Lord. And having reminded them of their identity, having called them unto holiness, he now calls them to love one another and not allow the external pressures of persecution to affect their love one for another. So how is it possible for them and us to love each other when we find ourselves at times looking at those and being those who are at times difficult to love. The first thing we see in our text in verse 22 is we are encouraged to love one another motivated by our shared salvation. Love one another motivated by our shared salvation. That is what we have in common. In verse 22, what Peter does for us is he describes our shared salvation. He describes that which grounds us in our faith, and that serves as the condition for the command. 
He reminds these believers who they are and he puts it this way in verse 22. He says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, therefore love one another fervently with a pure heart. And so the manner in which we are motivated or the reason we can love one another as God has called us to love one another is because of the salvation we have received in Christ. That in salvation, our souls have been purified. We've had the opportunity to obey the truth and we've been given the capacity to sincerely love one another. So beginning with the first one, we see the reason we can love one another as God called us to love one another is because in salvation, God has purified our souls. Uh, you and I are reminded as believers that when we're born into this world as a believer, uh, uh, when we're born into this world, we're born into this world with hearts that are in a state of rebellion against God. We're reminded this morning that you don't have to teach a child to be selfish it's ingrained within their nature. And all of us are born into this world with a heart that is in a state of rebellion against God. That heart of rebellion expresses itself in attitudes, actions, and affections that are contrary to the will of God and the word of God. The consequence of sin, the Bible says, is death. We are deserving of an eternity without God and his people forever and that's a hellish existence indeed. But the good news of the gospel in salvation is you and I have been washed. You and I have been, have been sanctified. You and I have been purified. And therefore, in light of that, we can rejoice. But how is it that we've been purified? The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still yet sinners. While we were still hard to love, Christ died for us. And so the reason we can love one another is because as we reflect on the love of God demonstrated to us in purifying our souls, forgiving our sins, and giving us the gift of everlasting life, that is a great motivation for loving one another. While we were still yet sinners in an unlovely state, Christ loved us and died for us. Uh, it's interesting to note that this, what looks like a verb, which in the Greek is a, a, a perfect participle, um, that this verb, because it's in the perfect tense, it tells us that it's a past action that has ongoing consequences. In other words, the fact that we have been purified in our souls means that we should continue to walk in purity. And so this morning, we're reminded that if there should be anything that should hinder our love one for another, we should continue to purify ourselves of that. Now, in a moment, in chapter 2, verse 1, Peter is going to give a number of things that we should set aside, some of those things that quench our love one for another. But before we move forward, I want to ask you to consider, what are those things in your life, in your mind, in your heart, attitudes and actions that hinder your love one for another? What are those things in your marriage, if you're married this morning, between your husband or your wife that hinder you from loving the way that God has called you to love? Often what will hinder us from loving as God calls us to love is we need to be purified perhaps of selfishness, purified of pride, purified of 
of thinking about ourselves before thinking about the other, seeking the best and God's greatest for that other person. How about your relationships with others in the local church? What are those things that we need to be purified of? What are those things that keep us from getting to know one another and praying for one another and serving one another with the gifts that God has given each one of us? Ultimately, what we are encouraged to do in light of our salvation, in light of the fact that Christ has purified our souls, that we should continue to walk in purity and not allow anything to hinder us from loving the way that God calls us to love. And so first, the reason we can love as God calls us to love is in salvation, our souls have been purified. Secondly, in salvation, we have been given the opportunity to obey the truth. Uh, The text says it this way, verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. When it says obeying the truth there, it's speaking obeying the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The manner in which we obey the truth in salvation is by responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ in faith. And so the manner in which we obey the truth is responding to the truth of the gospel by saying, Jesus, I believe, I receive forgiveness of sins, and I receive everlasting life. You know, it's helpful to define the gospel. It's helpful to define this truth that we're called to hear and to heed The gospel is the good news that Jesus came from heaven to earth, that he lived, that he died and was buried, and the third day he rose again and offers salvation as a free gift to anyone and everyone who would receive it. The manner in which we obey the truth of the gospel is having heard it, we heed it, and we say, Jesus, I admit my need for you. I admit I was born with a heart in a state of rebellion against you, and that heart expresses itself in my attitudes, actions, and affections, and Jesus, I need you, and then you can hear and heed the truth, and that's the salvation we have received in obeying the truth. And listen, church, when we know that that's how we've been saved, all of us have unique individual testimonies of how God has and continues to work in our lives, but one thing is consistent in our testimony, that the manner in which we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light is by obeying the truth, by hearing and heeding the gospel of Jesus Christ and trusting in Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord. And that should be the motivation for us to love one another. So the reason we can love one another as God calls us to love is because in salvation, he has purified our souls. He's given us the ability to obey the truth by placing our faith in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And then thirdly, he has given us the capacity to love our fellow brethren. If if we read it one more time, it says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren. I'd like to suggest the better translation would be, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit for sincere love of the brethren. In salvation, the reason why our souls have been purified as we've trusted in Jesus as our Savior and Lord and has placed our faith in him is in order that we might love one another. You know, the reason why God saved you was not just that you would respond to him and love him back and glorify him in all things, but that you would love one 
another. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus put it this way. Jesus said to them, in regards to the greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. God saved us, not just to glorify him and to love him, but to glorify him and love him in our love, one for another. God has given you and I a capacity to love one another. How much love has he given us? Well, in Romans 5, 5, he puts it this way. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. When we are recipients of God's love through the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross, we're not like a lake that just receives his love. We're like a reservoir having received it. We become a conduit of his love in our love one for another. And you then have a capacity to love as God loves. A love that is selfless, a love that is sacrificial, a love that is the kind of love that Christ showed each and every one of us. You know, when we had our first child, I remember looking at our daughter when she was first born and thinking to myself, wow, I love this little baby. I will do whatever I can to protect her. There's nothing that she could do that would hinder me from loving her. I will love her by protecting her, by disciplining her, by preparing her for what lies ahead, by teaching her the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thought to myself when we were preparing to have another child, I don't know if I could love or have the capacity to love another child like I love this one. But somehow God stretches the capacity. (laughs) And you have a capacity not just to love one, but two, and as many as the Lord gives you now, we've got three. And let me tell you, we have a capacity to love our children. I want you to know this morning that when you trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord, he purified your soul through you you putting your faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and he saved you unto your ability to have a capacity to love one another. I'm not just talking about loving one another when it's easy. When times are easy, I'm talking about the ability and the capacity to love one another when they are difficult to love, when they are hard to love, when when there are things in their life or your life that is quenching your love, one from for another in which we have been called to love. And so we're reminded that the reason we can love one another as God has called us to love is because he's given us this capacity to love. And so having given us in verse 22 the condition for the command to love one another fervently with a pure heart, he then gives us the content thereof. Listen, this message is not for unbelievers. This message is for Christians. This message is for those whose souls have been purified through obedience to the word, through obedience to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, have heard it and heeded it, and who have a capacity unto brotherly love. Then it says the command, love one another fervently with a pure heart. If you check the Greek there, it's interesting because in the condition, when it says brotherly love, it is the word Philadelphia. Then when we move to the command, it's the command agape. And so the kind of love that we should show to our brothers and sisters in Christ should be a sacrificial and selfless love. 
It should be a love that's been shown already to us. And out of the love God has poured out into our hearts, he then gives us the capacity to show that love to others. To love one another sincerely is to love them without hypocrisy, is to seek their greatest good in the Lord, seek to build them up according to their needs in Christ Jesus. And so your motives are not selfish. You're not interested in the relationship simply because of what you can get. You're interested in the relationship because of the way God designed it in order to consider what you can give. And so we've been called to love one another, love fervently with a pure heart. That word fervent in the Greek means to strain or to stretch out. (laughs) It means that the manner in which we are to love is, is to have a love that stretches, a love that is strained. Anybody have had their love strained and stretched? Those times when that love is strained and stretched are often in difficult times, times of hardship and times of transition, times when it's hard and difficult to love the other person, and yet we've been called to love them fervently, to stretch and strain the love that God has shown us. It's not our love, it's his love. And then it says, love with a pure heart. Once again, we're reminded it is selfless, it's not selfish, it's pure It's, I genuinely want to know your name. That's a good first step, right? I genuinely want to know how I can pray for you. What are you struggling with this week? I genuinely want to know how I can serve you. I genuinely don't want to just ask, hey, how's that going? And hey, hey, I'll be praying for you this week, but I really want to pray for you. I really want to come alongside of you. I really desire to serve you, and I want to follow up with you. And so the command that we're given is to love one another, but the motivation for the command is our shared salvation. What a blessing to know that our souls as a church who have put our faith in Jesus have been purified through obedience to the word for a sincere love and the ability and the capacity to love one another. And now we have the ability to obey the command to love one another fervently with a pure heart. Some of you are are thinking, wait, I thought love was an emotion that we feel because sometimes I don't feel love for others, especially when they're difficult to love. No, no, love is not just an emotion that you feel. Love is a commitment that you make. And so we're reminded this morning that when your love feels stretched, listen, you've got a greater capacity to love. And God will stretch out your love. But you've got to, knowing what God has put in you, you've got to deepen that love and strengthen that love. And the times when that love is deepened and strengthened are those times when it's most difficult to love. Those times when it's most difficult to serve those who are selfish. Those times when you find the other person simply difficult to be around. We've been called to love one another fervently, with a pure heart. That's the love of God. It's not of ourselves. It's the love that's been given already to us. And so first and foremost, how are we encouraged to love one another in times when we find each other difficult to love by means of loving, motivated, first and foremost, by our shared salvation? Can I give you a few takeaways this morning? The first one would be this. Admit that you have a ways to grow in your love, one for another. 
This morning, I, I don't just want you to, to, to think about that because some of you are thinking, I, I think I love pretty good. <laughs> I think I'm a pretty good husband and I think I'm a pretty good wife and I think I'm a, a pretty good church member. You know, I love one another. I, pr- I know people's names. I pray for them. I check up on them. Take a moment to, to ask your husband or your wife when you get home, if you're married, and ask them, how am I doing loving you? Take a moment to, to, to take an inventory, and often they'll, they'll let you know how you're doing. I'd like to suggest this morning, myself included, we have a ways to grow in our love one for another by cultivating a love that stretches and strains. By loving selflessly and sacrificially. By loving by means of the right motivations. Having reflected on the grace of God offered to us in salvation. Having purified our souls. That while we were still yet sinners in an unlovely state, Christ died for us. How much more should we show the love of God to those who, who we find to be at times in an unlovely state as well? Uh, Hudson Taylor once said, if your father and mother, sister and brother, if the very cat and dog in your house are not happier for you being a Christian, it's a question if you really are. This morning, my prayer is that others would know, especially that you're closest with, you live with, that those in your church family would be blessed because of your love for them and that we would love one another in this capacity. Uh, secondly, uh, 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 by means of committing yourself to the local church in your love one for another. This morning, your love begins in your marriage. You should love your husband or your wife. If you're married this morning, you should love them selflessly and sacrificially with a agape love. And so you should love those in your home, in your marriage, and in your family. But let me tell you this. You have a capacity not just to love those in your family and those you are married to, or the person you're married to, but you also have a capacity to stretch that love out for those in the family of God, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this morning, I just want to challenge each of you in the church. Are you committed to the local church? Are you committed to a local body where you have the ability to allow your love to be stretched? There's a few things you can do as you commit. The first thing that you need to do if you're going to commit to the local church is you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You need to begin by telling the Lord, Lord, I admit that I was born into this world in a state in which I was hard to love. But you loved me anyways. You sent Christ to die for me. And I receive forgiveness and everlasting life in your name. This morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and you've never come clean before God, he knows everything in your mind and in your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait till after this message. You can do it right now. You can say it, you can say it in your heart before the Lord. Lord, I need you and I make you. I make Jesus my Savior and my Lord. So receive Christ as your Savior and Lord. Secondly, attend weekly gatherings. How many of you know if there's a family gathering in your immediate family, if you're not there, you're missed. Uh, let, me, let me tell you this morning, when we have weekly gatherings on a Sunday morning and we gather together and you're not here, we miss you. It's one less prayer being lifted up to the Lord. 
One less worshiper singing praises to his name. One less person gathering with the saints of God, serving with the gifts that God has given one another. All of us are like different parts of the body and we all serve a unique role. And so this morning, if you're not here, we miss you. And then thirdly, take the worship service seriously, including the practice of observing communion. When you commit yourself to a local church, you, you know we're not just coming to church. We're, we're gathering with the people of God, singing praises to the Lord, celebrating who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he promises to do. And when we come together, we're reminded, especially when we gather around the Lord's table, the manner in which we take it seriously is we prepare our hearts for it. We prepare our hearts for worship in, in such a way that we say, Lord, I don't want to partake in an unworthy manner. I'm going to get right with you, but I'm also going to get right with my brothers and sisters in Christ. If there's something on your heart or your mind or you know that someone has something against you, do not partake of the Lord's table until you head over across the seats to that person and say, hey, we need to talk. Take the worship service seriously. Take communion seri seriously. And fourthly, uh, take time to join a group. It's one thing to gather on Sunday mornings and, uh, and be in rows. It's another thing to be in circles. And, and there's an opportunity in our small group settings to really go deeper. So commit yourself to a local church by joining a small group. Fifthly, by becoming a member. Now, some people ask, where in Scripture is there membership? Uh, sometimes we get that question. Well, let me tell you this morning, when it comes to the local church, there are formal forms of membership and informal forms of membership. When we're talking about membership, we're just saying commit yourself to the local body, whatever that may be. Commit yourself to a local church where you are known by one another, where you can hold one another accountable, where you can be on the same page, moving in the same direct and be of a sound mind in regards to the scriptures of the word of God, and you say, I'm committed to this gathering of the people of God. We're moving in the same direction. We're committed to pray here, to give here, to serve here. Whether it's formal or informal, the encouragement is to commit yourself to a local church. What church is that for you? You know, sometimes we have a tendency to church hop, and there comes a season for us to look for a time, you know, it's like finding someone to marry. You want to make sure you're on the same page. You have share the same values. You're moving in the same direction. But we're reminded this morning, we would not encourage somebody to be engaged for five to 10 years, right? I mean, there's a time to, to have that engagement period, but then it's time to move forward into the marriage and to get, get, get grounded and seated as a married couple, same thing with a church. Find a church that you can commit to, where you can serve, where you can give, where you can go with. And so become a member, and then lastly, get to know your church family. Get to know your church family. And there are simple ways to do that. Get to know the names of those around you. That's the, the simple first step. And you say, I'm terrible with names. Well, so am I. Get to know someone's name this week and then go back and say, hey, what was your name? Because I need to remember it. Maybe it takes four or five weeks, but keep going, keep pressing on, and then you'll get to know their name. Ask how you can pray for them and ask how you can serve them. Maybe this month or in the next six months, you say, there's one couple in the church that I want to get to know. 
And so for the next six months, this is that couple. And I'm going to get to know their names. I'm gonna pray for them. And we're gonna go out to lunch. We're gonna go out to dinner. But I'm going to serve them. That is the person I am going to invest in in the time ahead. And I will tell you this, ministry is messy. And when you get to know one another, you get to know one another's faults. But thanks be to God that he's the one who gives us a capacity to love. And that capacity to love allows us to stretch and it allows us to overlook at times the weaknesses of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ without not holding them accountable, but still holding them accountable and loving one another as God calls us to love. And so, first and foremost, love one another motivated by your shared salvation. Secondly, in verse 23, love one another motivated by the reminder of being born again through the seed of the word. Once again, it really is talking about our shared salvation, just described in a different way. The one command in verses 22 to 23, the one imperative that we receive is love one another fervently with a pure heart. And that one command is sandwiched between two conditions for the command. The first condition for the command we've already discussed, which is the first motivation, a purified heart in the salvation, a purified soul in the salvation we have received. The second one, the second condition that we see in verse 23 is the reminder that we have been born again. Verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The reason we can love one another as God calls us to love, even when we find others difficult to love, is because we have been born again. The reason we can love one another as God has called us to love one another is because we're part of the same family. What Peter is saying here is if you are part of the family, act like it. If you are part of the family, love like it. If you are part of the family, serve like it. If you are part of the family, be the family of God. We have something in common. When you trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, we have the same heavenly Father. We've been adopted by him into, into the kingdom of God. We've been transferred to the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. We are family. Can I ask you this morning, not how do you treat your family, but how should you treat your family? How you should treat them is you should love them unconditionally, selflessly, that you should love them as God has loved you. And that love should not just be for your immediate family, that love should be extended to your church family. I think as a church, we always can grow in our love one for another, knowing that we have are part of the same family. And so not only, not only can we love one another as God calls us to love because we're part of the same family, but because we are all people of the word. Some religion in their books refer to believers as people of the book. What a great compliment. What a wonderful thing to know that we are people of the book. The text tells us how one is born again. Verse 23, having been born again, <coughs> not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. 
because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I pray that what we have in common is our love for God and his word. My prayer is that we would truly as a church, corporately and individually, Come together and say, we've been born again through the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've responded in faith and we've received salvation and everlasting life because of it. And we are people of the book. We believe that God's word is the final authority on all matters to which it speaks. God's word should govern our lives, our minds, our relationships, our marriages, our families, and our church. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable. We believe that. For doctrine, reprove, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How is the word described here? And why should we be people of the book that motivates us to love one another, knowing that that's what we have in common as members of the family of God, the word is described as that which is imperishable. It's not subject to decay. It's not subject to death. There are seeds that are subject to decay and death, but not the word of God. We're reminded that the word of God is not just imperishable. It is eternal. We're reminded by by his quote of Isaiah 40, verses 6 to 8. He says, "The, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This was a helpful reminder for those among those who were persecuted throughout the region of Asia Minor who were facing persecution. They could see possibly the glory of Rome, but even the glory of Rome is going to fade away. The glory of man will fade away like the flowers that are there for a season and then they dissipate. But the word of God is enduring. The word of God is living. The word of God is what we commit ourselves to as believers because it is imperishable. You know, it reminds me of a story I once read. It was a true story about a, a skeptic who was talking to a man by the name of Gaylord Kambarami, the general secretary of the Bible Society in Zimbabwe some years back. The man, the skeptic, told him this, if you give me that New Testament, he's trying to pass out scriptures, I will roll the pages and use them to make cigarettes. Gaylord replied, I understand that, but at least promise to read the pages of the New Testament before you smoke it. When the man agreed, Gaylord gave him the New Testament, and that was the last time he saw him for 15 years. Then while Gaylord was attending a Methodist convention in Zimbabwe, the speaker on the platform suddenly spotted him, pointed him out in the audience and said this, this man doesn't remember me. But 15 years ago, he tried to sell me a New Testament. When I refused to buy it, he gave it to me. And even though I told him I would use the pages to roll cigarettes, he still gave it to me. Then he says this, I smoked through Matthew. I smoked through Mark. I smoked through Luke, but when I got to John, especially John 3.16, I stopped smoking because God changed and transformed my life. This man who smoked through the scriptures is a man who now preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ because God's word is living, God's word is enduring, God's word is imperishable, and we should build our lives upon it. 
This morning, the motivation we have to love one another as God calls us to love is the fact that we are part of the same family. We've been born of God through his imperishable, enduring, living word. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. Can I give you a couple takeaways here? The first is this, make God's word the ultimate pursuit of your life. When I say make God's word the ultimate pursuit of your life, I'm saying make God the ultimate pursuit of your life because if you get to know the word, you'll get to know the Lord. Don't waste your time reading and then never growing in your relationship with God. The, 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 the encouragement is to get to know the word so that you can grow in your relationship with your heavenly father. And so make God's word the ultimate pursuit of your life, not social media. I read a statistic this week that the average American spends two and a half hours on social media every day. May that not be the mark of the church. If you're spending more time on social media than you are in the word, take an opportunity to check your priorities. Make God's word the ultimate pursuit of your life, not your favorite streaming service. Today, we have all kinds of streaming services. Folks will binge watch shows and movies and spend hours and hours, weeks and months watching these things. And then they say, I don't have time to read the word. I'm a busy person. Uh, do you know how long it takes to read First Peter, the average pace? Uh, just the entire letter of First Peter just takes 16 minutes. If you were going to read the entire word of God, you know, we say, hey, can we, can we um, um, read through the Bible in a year? And we're like, oh, that's a tough task, right? I mean, that's a lot of reading. That's a lot of commitment. But if the word of God is the ultimate pursuit of your life, some people commit their lives to these streaming services or social media. I mean, take a look at the word of God. It takes uh, uh, anywhere between 52 and 72 hours to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. That's two to three days if you're just reading it straight. What would happen if we really were committed to making God's word the ultimate <coughs> pursuit of our lives? So make God's word the ultimate pursuit of your life, not social media, not your favorite streaming service, and not the 24-hour news cycles. I knew someone needed a word today. Some of us find ourselves just watching those 24 hours news cycles and we find ourselves watching that over getting into the word and having right perspective. Make God's word the ultimate pursuit, not your favorite hobby or sports. This morning, I just want to encourage us to check our priorities. Take a look at God's word. Is it the ultimate pursuit of our lives? Do we love it? Do we crave it as we're going to see in, in a moment? Do we long for it like a, like a new babe longs for pure milk? Secondly, take time to read it. I found other statistics this week. 33% of Protestants who attend church services read their Bible regularly on a daily basis, only 33%, one-third of the church. One out of eight people who attend church regularly, it said that they rarely open up the word of God. And so they attend church, you, you get fed on Sunday, and then you starve the rest of the week. Take time to read it. Second, thirdly, don't just read it, apply it, and be transformed by it. And then fourthly, surround yourself with others who are committed to the word of God and making it the ultimate pursuit of their lives. 
we're reminded what a difference it makes to surround yourself with the right people. You know, growing up, I'm thankful that I had parents. I was raised in a Christian home. I had parents, a father and mother, who were committed to reading and studying God's word. My father, he had lived a a life of sin prior to meeting my mother. He he had done many things in his prior life so that when he finally tasted the goodness of the Lord and got a hold of the word of God, he didn't put it down. So I'd wake up in the mornings and he'd be reading the word and highlighting the parts of the Bible he had already highlighted the previous day. So he was in love with the word of God. I'm thankful that I was a part of churches throughout my, uh, my youth and into college and seminary and, 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 and after that of churches who prioritized and were committed to the teaching and the preaching of the word of God, not watering it down, not seeking out to entertain us, but simply giving us the pure word of God to crave it, to hunger and thirst for it, to, to study it and, and to grow in light of it. I'm thankful to be part of a church here at Twin Rivers, to be a part of a church who is committed to the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. Can I tell you what a blessing it is as your pastor to stand and to invite you to stand for the reading of the word, and you're not looking at me, you're reading the word. What a blessing that is to be committed to the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. Surround yourself with those kinds of people. You find someone who loves the word, word, get in touch with them, chat with them, get into study with them, pray with them. Those are the people you want to surround yourself with. And so how is it possible to love one another when we find one another difficult to love by means of being motivated by our shared salvation, motivated by the fact that we have been born again through the teaching and preaching of the word. And then thirdly, as we've already alluded to in the rest of our text, motivated by our love for God and his word. Let's go ahead and and, and continue. In in chapter two, verse one, Peter encourages these believers here to pursue purity, to remove those things that quench our love one for another. And he lists five character traits. He lists uh, uh, attitudes and actions that hinder our love one for another. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Earlier, I asked you to consider those things that hinder your love in your marriage or in your family or within the local church. What are those things? For some, we would say, well, it's selfishness. I'm thinking about myself more often than the other person. Someone else might say pride. Well, I'm interested in them serving me. I'm not really thinking about them. And so that's what gets in the way. For others, it would be anger. I'm just holding on to anger, resentment, and bitterness. And that really hinders me from loving well. What are those things that you need to set aside? The the word there is laying aside these things. It, It speaks of of taking off dirty clothes. And I was thinking about this this week. What are those clothes that that become dirty and you just want to take them off because you don't want them on you? You know, we have three kids and they get sick at times and there are times when they throw up but they miss the, the can and get on you. You know what I'm saying? And those are times when you got throw up on you, on your, on your clothes and you want to get out of those as quickly as possible. That's the picture here. 
Put off those things. Take off the vomit of those sins that hinder your love one for another. Put off those attitudes and actions, including malice. Uh, Malice is a, a general term that speaks of wickedness, ill will to one another, and it can speak of that which can create hostility between one another. Not just malice, but deceit. Deceit is not just being dishonest, but leading others astray. Goes on to talk about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy was a, uh, a term that was used for the theater. Uh, depending on the kind of play that was going to be done, whether a tragedy or a comedy, you would wear a different mask depending on the kind of play. And so uh, that's where we get the word hypocrisy from. What we're reminded that we're called to be as Christians is consistent Christians. Don't come to church on Sunday morning, put on your Sunday mask, take it off, and then go into work on Monday. Be a consistent Christian. Don't walk in hypocrisy. Who you are on Sunday is who you are on Monday. Who you are at home is who you should be in the church. Who you are in church is the person you should be in the workplace. Put off hypocrisy. Be a genuine, sincere, consistent Christian. Not just hypocrisy, but envy. Envy is, is expressing jealousy that doesn't seek the best, uh, the best for others, but seeks their demise. Not only do you want what they have, but you resent them for having it. Set aside envy and then evil speaking. We're talking about slander, speaking negatively, talking about others, either to their face or, or behind their back. Ephesians 4.29 is a good text. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for bringing others up according to their needs in Christ Jesus. The word for unwholesome talk in the Greek there in Ephesians is rotten fruit. You ever have rotten fruit in your house and the bugs start to fly around it? Get rid of the rotten fruit out of your relationships. Bugs are starting to form. The stench is starting to get overwhelming. Put aside evil speaking. But only say those things that build one another up according to their needs in Christ Jesus. The tongue is quite sharp and dangerous. This morning, I want to encourage us. There are times when you can say things that you shouldn't. (laughs) There are times that you should say something to build others up according to their needs in Christ Jesus. But you don't say it for whatever reason. Don't say the things you don't need to say. Guard your tongue, but say the things that you need to say. Put off these things that hinder and quench our love one for another. Don't just pursue purity, but, but desire and long for spiritual growth. In verse 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow. Um, we have a four-month-old in our house. And so for the past four months, we've had this baby, and this baby lives for milk. He came out, he wanted milk from the very beginning, and, um, you know, at first he had to learn how to nurse, he had to learn how to drink a bottle when he was still drinking in the hospital, and, and the way that we would prepare him for the bottle or prepare him for nursing is we'd give him a little taste of the milk, And when he gets a little taste of the milk, oh boy, you don't have to teach him to want it. He longs for it. And he'll let you know when he wants more of it, right? I mean, he'll wake up yelling and screaming. That's what he longs for and desires. What if my wife turned to my son and said, son, you're only getting milk on Sunday and no longer throughout the week? You would report us to child services, (laughs) 
this baby needs milk throughout the day and throughout the week. And yet some of us desire the pure milk of the word and we only desire it on Sunday. And you starve throughout the rest of the week. That's what, what we're reminded of. We're reminded that, that, that there are times when we find ourselves not craving the word of God like we should. There are times when we are taking in junk food that hinders our appetite for the very word of God. What is that junk food that you partake of that hinders the pure milk of the word? When we're talking about the pure milk of the word, we're talking about the word of God that's not watered down. Oh, have you heard some preaching that you can listen to that's watered down, that tickles the ears of the listeners? There are some Christian books. People say, I'm not interested in studying the word verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but ooh, there are some fun, great Christian books that are top sellers, so-called Christian books. You start opening them up and they're watered down. Man, it's rough when you hear a watered down gospel message. You have the love of God without the justice of God. God is holy, he is just, he is righteous. He's, we stand accountable before him. He's coming back in glory and he, we're going to give an account before him. We don't need to water that down because if we water it down, the sweetness of his grace can't be enjoyed. Because when you taste the bitterness of your own sin and the consequences thereof, you want to be set free from that and taste the sweetness of the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins and rose again in newness of life. I don't want a watered-down gospel. I don't want the, the word of God to be watered down. I want the pure milk of the word. So guard yourself against the junk food out there. Some of the books that say they're Christian books when the reality is, oh, you go deeper, not so much. Be careful to what you're listening to. Make sure all things are aligned with the will of God and the word of God. Be good Bereans, checking the word of God and, and, and making sure it's, what is being taught is in accordance with, with it. As newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby the purpose of desiring it is spiritual growth. It's, it's not that we would be babes in Christ forever, but that we would grow and, and that we would mature, that we would get rid of the junk food and no longer pursue those things. And then it says in verse three, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. We're reminded this morning, I think it's Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. The invitation this morning is to taste of the sweetness of the truth of God's word, to desire the pure milk therein so that you can grow into spiritual maturity, so that you can be loved by God, receiving his love and be a conduit of his love one for another. Let me give you just a few takeaways and then we'll close. The first one is abandon junk food that spoils your appetite for the pure milk of the word. Identify those things and discipline yourself not to partake of them. Secondly, ask God to give you an appetite for his word. And then thirdly, pursue spiritual maturity as your top priority. This morning, I just want to conclude with this. Let us love one another. Let us pursue our love one for another selflessly, sacrificially, following the example that Christ has set for us. Can we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word. 
The word of God, Lord, is what we build our lives upon. We know that the word of God reflects the nature of God, and as we get to know your word, we get to know you. And Lord, we know that through your word, we have received salvation. We have received your love for us. But Father, we also know the challenge to love one another. Father, I want to pray for the marriages that are, uh, that are representative of our church this morning. I pray for husbands and wife to, to love as you call them to love. For husbands to love their wife as Christ loved the church. For wives to align under the authority of God as they align under the authority of their husband as the spiritual leaders of the home. I pray, Father, that marriages that are struggling would just take time, Father, to, to, to put you at the center of it. And Father, we pray that you would bring new life. Father, we pray for wisdom and guidance and direction for husbands and wives to love one another as you demonstrate it through Christ. Father, I wanna pray for families who, who find themselves struggling. I wanna pray for our church, Lord, that we would be the, the kind of people who love one another, motivated by our salvation in Christ, motivated by being born again through the word of God and our love for God and his word, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would show us the people that we need to invest in right now. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these things. I wanna pray for anyone who wants to uh, make Jesus their Savior and Lord. Maybe he has never done that this morning. I pray that they can express this as I share it aloud. Father, I recognize I need you. Uh, Father, I know that I was born into this world needing your salvation. I was born a sinner. But Father, I know that that's why Jesus came. He died on the cross to take my place. I receive forgiveness of sins. I receive everlasting life. I make Jesus my Savior and my Lord the one I will follow for all eternity. Father, thank you for these things. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.